I read this chapter to Evelyn yesterday. Amanda took a nap and Evelyn was awake and just in a playful mood. And so I gave her a bunch of toys in the floor and just read it out loud to her. And I don't know, it probably took me cool. 20 minutes to read aloud. Yeah. Yeah. And she didn't even like she just listened and played with her toys. And I, when I would do like a Glaurung voice or something and be like super dramatic with it, she'd kind of like <laughs> hold her toy and like look up at me. And <laughs> but she oh, was entertained the whole time. Are you not entertained? Oh, that's Are cool. you not entertained? That's I love that. That's great. Yeah, it was it was cool. Welcome, my lords, to the Well-Earned Comforts Podcast. I'm Sam. And I'm Seth. Thank you for joining us on the Walls of Isengard as we explore the many works of Tolkien and discuss life. We're glad to have you as part of the Fellowship, as there's no telling where we'll be swept off to. And we are coming to the end, almost to the end, of our epic journey of Children of Purin. We are on the second to last chapter, and it's going to be a lot of fun. we got a lot to dive into. But before we do that, as always, we're going to babble like butterbur so i'm going to check in with my brother seth it's only been a week since we passed podcasted this is three weeks in a row i'm feeling pretty good uh what's going on what's new how you doing oh not much uh actually a lot whoa whoa, whoa weeks whoa, in a row is pretty great you, you sound my incredible voice? thank you what what did you do <laughs> well i took my insult of you have a face for podcast last week towards you a little seriously i see that and i decided <laughs> I to hear that check my pockets for how deep they may be and i used my amazon rewards to buy a new mic (laughs) (laughs) and you sound incredible way way better yeah i like it it's i mean i'm interested to hear how it sounds because obviously i don't hear the difference but if you're claiming that hey it must be must be true hopefully it'll stop my mic from cutting in and out as well yes yes i imagine it will but other than that what's going on (laughs) it's actually been a pretty busy week uh Last Monday, Labor Day, I believe, or sorry, Memorial Day, um, I had uh, my critical care registered RN test that I took, which is a pretty challenging test that you have to be a critical care nurse for two years before even applying to take the test. And it's 150 questions. So it's a pretty, pretty extensive test that uh, I was studying for for a while, but I passed that. So I was pretty excited. Yeah, now I can, it's it's actually a certification that you can put after your name on like your email and stuff and on your resume. It's like Seth, you know, RN, BSN, CCRN. So it's pretty Jeez. cool. <laughs> That's cool. Um, so I'm happy to have passed that. What's nice is I, my boss at my work, they reimburse me for study material. So I brought oh, my nice. receipts to my boss with my passing uh, certificate and was like, hey, I need money from you. <laughs> nice. So that's cool. Um, and then I went and dropped a lot of money on a new AC yeah, that was installed yeah. yesterday. Which I was wondering about that. I, I imagine the last couple of days have been pretty, pretty tough for you. Thankfully, I have been working. Uh, so I've okay. been indoors ha- at work. However, Evelyn and Amanda were just absolutely miserable. Evelyn had a hard time yeah. napping. Amanda tried putting her down in a pack and play in the unfinished basement. And that just freaked her out but it was the only sure. place that was moderately cool. Um, mm-hmm. So she wasn't napping well. Amanda was cranky because she was just hot all the time. But yeah, 
I mean, we were when we were going to bed at like eight thirty. It was eighty seven degrees in our room, and it's like, oh my gosh, we got to We got to do something about this. That's so, yeah, that's horrible. Ugh. Yeah, thankfully that's taken care of. It was a pretty penny. However, it's mm-hmm. gonna it's gonna pay off. I mean, talk about first world problems, but yeah. you really kind of realize how blessed you are to one have air conditioning and for two to have the ability to pay out of pocket for something like that even though it you know takes a hit on the savings account it's still like you know a lot of people around the world do not have the fortune that we have granted we've worked hard for it but we really are blessed and it it makes me feel good as a provider and as a husband to when something like that happens to be like yeah i got you amanda i got you evelyn Mm. we we can take care of this that's great yeah i absolutely love that i completely agree I mean, I'll be going to one of those places. I'm going to Africa here in a couple of weeks. Yeah. Um, so yeah, no, no AC out there, but yeah, it's, it's a whole <laughs> different world. I mean, it's, it's obviously there's different needs. There's different um, resources available. And obviously, like you said, I think, I think people do take, take for granted way, way too much, just the simple joys and uh, eases of our Western life for sure. Very, very true. Well, that's enough about me. What's uh, what's new with you? This is, you know, like you said, three weeks in a row. So has anything changed in your life in the last week? Uh, anything life-changing in the last week? Um, that's no, not what I said. I said anything changed I, in your life, not life-changing. Isn't that the same thing? Has anything changed in your life? Life-changing. I mean, Sam. I, get the diff- I get the difference, but it's... Sam. Okay. Continue. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we just we finished the nursery, so we were painting the nursery this this last weekend, and we finished the nursery, uh, which is really cool. Um, we that's wallpaper that you pop, right? That's not painting. Like you guys didn't paint Correct. that. That's wall. Okay. Amanda yeah, saw yeah, that, that's... showed her the picture, and she was like, "That's awesome." Did they paint that? I was like, "I think it's wallpaper, but it's pretty. Yeah. It's pretty cool either way." <clears throat> yeah, it's wallpaper of like a, kind of a forest. It, we wanted to go for kind of mountain vibes, Colorado mountain vibes in the in the nursery. And yeah, we did not paint it. It's just a wallpaper we found. I forget where, maybe like Etsy or something. But it wasn't wasn't too expensive. Putting it up was kind of a pain. I'm just yeah. trying to line it up because it came in like sheets, like sure. six sheets that you had to line up and and <laughs> cut to the sizes they need to be in. And so that was a bit annoying. And then obviously, like I said, we painted the nursery and then we just finished today uh, putting in the crib and putting that together and kind of making it look nice. So we're very excited. Ariel's getting pretty big. I, the other night I was singing to the one time in in your marriage where it's acceptable to say that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) She's her stomach is getting big. That's it. Nothing else. (laughs) But, uh, which is actually true. She's pretty stayed pretty slimber. She's just kind of, uh, going out with the stomach there but um the other night i was i was singing to bear the road goes ever on and on and as i started singing that i had my hand on his stomach on, on ariel's stomach and i just felt his entire body like move on my hand Whoa, like he was like cool. oh i'm gonna listen like i think maybe his his back was to my hand then when mm. i started singing he like moved so that his head was like facing my hand i don't know i, I could be making That's this up cool. but i just felt the whole body move in my hand and i was like ah that's so cool <laughs> he's real he's alive he's He's hanging out. He recognized my voice. I mean, yeah. hopefully, I don't know. So uh, that's kind of been our whole world at this point. Um, sure. But yeah, we leave for South Carolina for our, our high school trip on Monday morning at 6 a.m. Won't be back till Friday night. So I don't know when we'll get to podcast again. Um, and then I leave for, like I said, Africa on the 15th. So 
it's gonna be a busy, busy month. I don't know. Weeks for you. Yeah, yeah. We'll see what all we can get get done on this side of things. But other than that, doing well. Uh, my buddy Ian, who was running the five Ks a day in May, we finished up together. He he texted me. He's like, "Hey, can you help me finish with my fastest time?" Um, I was like, "What are you shooting for?" He's like, "Ah, like eight fifteen miles." I was like, "Okay." And so he comes over at six in the morning on the 31st. And I was like, you ready, man? He's like, yeah, okay. And I just took off. Like I just started <laughs> like sprinting and the whole time, like anytime I'd hear him get a little bit closer to me, I just run faster. <laughs> and uh, we, we finished with a, a 743 pace. Um, so about 30 seconds faster than nice. he wanted, but. Uh, I, I couldn't tell if he was mad at me or like happy at the end, but nah, he was happy. <laughs> that, that's what competition does. I mean, if he's shooting for like, yeah. a, what'd you say, like a seven forty-five pace, or no, he said eight fifteen. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, if that's what he's shooting for, and then you put in somebody that's going to create competition, and he doesn't want you to beat him by that much, so he's you know going to push a lot harder than he would have otherwise. So <laughs> that's that's cool. Yeah. Yeah, we've ran together a bunch. I think we did like probably seven or eight five Ks together during this nice. month. Um, and yeah, we talk while we're running. So, you know, we'd get like an eight and a half minute pace, 8.50 pace. Sure. Um, so this one, he's like, all right, I, I want to push it. I want to finish hard. And, and so we did. And that was that was pretty fun. Um, yeah, that's yeah. awesome. Congrats to him. That's a heck of an accomplishment. Yeah, it's it's. I was impressed that he kept it the entire month. You know, a lot of times people say, I'm going to do this for every single day for the entire month. And, and he did. I was very impressed. But yeah, that's crazy. So you ran for the first time the other day. What, what was that like? <laughs> uh, it's actually really cool. Uh, I just don't like running. I hate running. I'll lift. I bike a lot. I play hockey. Yeah. You know, I'll do other things for cardio. I just hate running. But I was like, you know, the weather's actually getting nice. It's beautiful here in the mornings. And so. Sure. I lifted before work. I, I get up at like 4.15 to lift before work. And I cut my workout a little short or my lifting a little short and just went for a run. It's a little over a mile loop around the neighborhood right at dawn. And the you know the sun's not even up much. Mm-hmm. I'm dodging all these dead beetles left and right that are <laughs> in the, the walkway first thing in the morning. But like I was just listening to the sounds of the birds. There's no cars driving. There's no people. Yeah. It's literally just bird sound as I'm running. And it was just, I didn't push myself since I don't run much. I'm I'm intelligent enough when it comes to athletics that (laughs) repetition is what your body gets used to. So my body is not used to running. And therefore, if I actually strain and push hard, I will be incredibly sore and I won't want to do it again for a long time. Yep. Um, So I was like, yeah, I'll just kind of take it easy. And I think I ran it at like an eight and a half mile pace, but it was just one mile. So it wasn't much at all. Um, But I just jogged and listened to the birds as i ran i was like man this is this is a cool area and a perfect time of day where there's just nobody i think it was at like like 5 10 in the morning ish by the time i started the jog that's cool that's one thing i've been finding really fun about about running in the morning too because yeah i I don't i i always hated running but even just yeah because sometimes i listen to podcasts or whatever when i run but lately i've just kind of taken my headphones out and just kind of ran while listening to the sounds and, and prayed, honestly, like just taking that time to pray and uh, talk to God and tell him everything going on, which has been cool. Yeah. And I mean, you can do that while lifting, but it's, I don't know, it's just different. You know, it's something it is different. About, like running. So I don't know. Well, it depends on the time of day. Like if it's early in the yeah. morning, it's cool to listen to the birds, to have that quiet time. Cause it is quiet, you know, before yeah, oh, yeah. it's yeah. up. But if it's later in the day where 
there's some traffic and kids are screaming at school and you know like right, all these right. different things it's like you know i'll throw some headphones in and and listen or to when it's 90 degrees and 85 percent humidity like it is pretty much right now i'm not going to run in that <laughs> so yeah no <laughs> real quick bef- before we transition i thought of this earlier i just didn't want to interrupt you um amanda when she was pregnant informed me of this are you aware that if right now Ariel goes swimming or gets in a bathtub, she is considered a submarine. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. I did not think about I've never thought of that, but you're absolutely right. She is. She is. <laughs> Just what you were talking about triggered that in my brain. I was like, oh, he'll like this. That's <laughs> so good. I love it. We are actually, I think we're going swimming tomorrow. So we have there a, you go. A she is a submarine. She'll be a submarine for me. I'm going to tell her this. She's going to love that. She's going to love that. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we'll jump into our riddles in the dark. And last week, I actually got Seth pretty good. Um, had yes, a little face of shock on him. Insane. So we'll see if I can go two for two here. Uh, let's see. All right. Uh, you, uh, yeah, you'll probably get this. But I, 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 I open to it. I'm not going to find a new one. I'll, I'll go by the rules here. <laughs> Now for it, he said. When we've warmed up a bit, perhaps we shall be able to stand again and walk. But in any case, we better start by crawling. I feel like that's Sam talking to Frodo on the side of Mount Doom. No. Say it again. Incorrect. Say it again. Now now for it, he said. When we've warmed up a bit, perhaps we shall be able to stand again and walk. But in any case, we had better start by crawling. Huh. It's very Um... obvious. Like, it's... You're right. It, oh, it's is it the is it the stare of Kareth Ungle? No, no, no. You're right. It's hobbits. It's it's not Frodo and Sam. Oh, this is Merry and Pippin, and when they're right, when they're captured, and the the riders of Rohan come, and they find themselves outside the circle that the yes uh, the riders had made, and they cut their hands, and they're like, ah, let's have some Limbus before we you know get out of here. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Uh, well, yeah, I don't think they had quite. Yeah, with this, he cut, quickly cut their bonds. Now for it. Yep. Yeah, because Pippin's hands were already free. Mm-hmm. That's a good one. Yeah. That, yeah. The context of that, I was like, man, I feel like they're not cold on Mount Doom, but it would make sense that Sam would say that to Frodo. And then stares at Thungle, that adds up. But no, that's that's a good yeah. one. That's a good one. I think this one for you might even be harder than that, no, but it no, might no, not on. be at the same time. So which book is it then, real quick? Which chapter? Uh, it's got to be book two and chapter... I Again, I don't know chapter names. Road to Isengard? Is that a chapter uh, name? N- no. Um, it is. I think it is a chapter name but no you're actually it's book three in the two towers is it the Urukai? it's the Urukai. yes are you sure that's book three it says it right here but the two towers is split up book two would be until frodo no, and book Sam two pick starts up at many meetings really i mean that's no. how this one's i mean we have the same book i'm sure it would say the same for you we but, probably do yeah. that's weird i i'd have to Actually, look, I've never looked at the table of contents. It's like the Bible. You don't even need the table of contents. Yes, the, the it's because the, the, 
Yeah, so I didn't realize. I thought the Fellowship of the Ring was just one book. I didn't realize oh, that it technically was split. Yeah. Yeah. That makes more sense. Mm-hmm. I've probably been off on the books this whole time then. Maybe. Yeah. Probably. Um, all right, so here's here's one for you. This is actually a pretty good one, I think. Uh, let's see. I just lost it. I had it a second ago. Here we go. It's kind of an obscure character, but you might have a chance at it. Your okay. words are... Can I talk? Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> All right. Your words, Lord, are wise if one who is a kinsman to the Lord Denethor may counsel you in this matter. He is strong-willed and proud, but old, and his mood has been strange since his son was stricken down. Yet I would not have you remain like a okay. beggar at the door. Uh, I gave you a lot of dialogue. Yeah, that was a lot. So I'm gonna go. I'm gonna start backwards. So I'm gonna start. This is Return of the King. Um, so I guess technically, what like book? It's. It would be. Well, I'm not gonna book say six. Should be no, book five. Sorry. Book five, yeah, book five, and I'm gonna say it's the. Uh, at first, I wanted to say it's the guy talking to Pippin. What's his name? Um, you're talking about. Uh, Brand Brand Belligand. Not Belligand. What is it? It's something like that. Yeah. But he might be talking to Gandalf, actually. Because he says Lord and then a beggar. Is it is it that character though? Is it not Belligand? It's it's uh but it is one of those like random Gondorians, right? That isn't Uh, I wouldn't say he's random. He doesn't have a very prominent role in the movie. I can give you another hint that might give it away. It's not Faramir. He has elven blood. Oh! Uh, uh, he doesn't... Wait, does he actually... Is he in the movie at all, then? Is that... Well, I don't know. Who are you talking about? The Prince Imrahil? Yeah, there you go. He is in the movie. Yeah. No, he's not. Yes, he is. When? Remember when... Uh, uh, Faramir comes back to when he's hurt after trying to yeah. regain Osgiliath and Gandalf rides out and rescues, brings him back in in the movie. That's supposed to be Imrahil, the guy that's like yeah. helping Denethor kill Faramir? No, 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 no. He's like right at the gate and he says like two words to Gandalf. I don't remember. Huh. That's dumb. I didn't know that. <laughs> So they Fair. allude to it, but just Google it's... Prince Imrahil and you'll rec- you'll recognize him. He has like two or three lines in the movie. Huh. Oh, okay. Pr- yeah, Prince Imrahil, and he's he's talking to Gandalf there, I assume. No. Oh. Okay. It'll make a lot more sense as soon as I tell you. Uh, is... You want me to tell you? Here, let me read. This is a different character just before. You've already raised the banner of the kings and displayed the tokens of Lindil's house. Would you suffer those to be challenged? No, said Blank, but I, te- I deem the time unripe, and I have no mind for strife except with our enemy and his servants. I guess, so... Hmm. I don't know. I, I want to say that's maybe after... Like, is he talking to Aragorn then? Yes. Imrahil is okay. talking to Aragorn. 
Yeah. And this is when they're like trying to decide to go off to like the black gate. No. The okay. chapter, the chapter is houses of healing. It's like right at the beginning. Oh, okay. um, yeah, yeah. And so after they do battle and stuff and Aragorn's like, I don't want anybody to know who I am when I enter the city, but I need to go to yeah. the houses of healing to heal all my friends. Okay. Yeah. I, yeah, that, that eluded That's me a hard one. pretty hard. That was hard, but also I, I, I'm looking at a picture I'm looking at a picture of Imrahil. Is he the guy that's like, it's just as the Lord Denethor predicted long as he foreseen this doom? Yeah. And are you kidding yeah. me? <laughs> that's supposed to be Prince Imrahil? Golly. I know. Not not really how I imagine him. No. Well, okay. We'll, we'll call that one a draw, maybe. I mean, you probably I did a little <laughs> bit better than I did, but anyway. <laughs> of con- like enough dialogue to get yeah. the context, even if you wouldn't get the character sure yeah mm. that's all right that's all right anyway we will move on to tidings from the fellowship uh not a whole lot of tidings uh caleb commented on our spotify episode last episode when you know i was talking about the ca- uh, backpacking trip we did together the snowshoeing trip and he just agreed that it was very cold indeed um so yeah i also threw this in here uh, shout out to scott marion because i've been on strava since i've been running it's like a little app kind of like map my run um, but I found him and we've, we've been, we've followed each other and he's been running for today was 1103 days straight. Wow. So he started, he started, I think like during COVID 2020 and, and he hasn't stopped, you know, it varies mileage and timing and stuff, but he's, he's put in a lot of miles and it's, it's pretty good. So well done. Almost Scott. Exactly three years, like maybe not perfectly, but that's, that's impressive. Yeah. Good for him. Yeah. That's, that's well done, good. Scott. Well done. I wish I could run. Indeed. That. Well, <laughs> I don't think I would ever be able to do that personally. That's a that's a heck of a feat. Yeah, no, it is. It's really cool. We are cheering you on to continue going as long as you may. And yes, uh, indeed. He could probably run. He probably keep up with Aragorn, Legolas, maybe not Gimli, but. We, uh, yeah, we, if, if you want to share any tidings from your fellowship, from our fellowship, go ahead and send those into weckpodcast at gmail.com and we'll read them here on the podcast. But before anything else, I think we need to jump into the meat potatoes today because uh, we've got a lot to discuss here and uh, we might babble too, too long already into the night. But, um, yeah, this is again the chapter names, as I've mentioned before, the death of Glaurong. So <laughs> if you were reading ahead and you're like, oh, okay, I guess he is dead, I guess uh, he, he dies somehow. So, he does. He does die. Um, but we pick up this chapter, and uh, this is kind of where we left off with Turin, Dorlas, and Hunthor, the the three companions. They make out their way to the cabin in Eris, which is, just means the leap of the deer. And uh, as they were going there, they had to kind of get close to the waterfalls, and they were they were glad to hear the sound of the rushing waters uh, to cover their movements. Because again, they're trying to kind of sneak up near a sleeping dragon, and if you are smart, you don't want to wake that sleeping dragon before uh, it's time. So. Upon leading the company here, Turin, like, because Dorlas, again, he knew the land better than anyone else. And so he led the company there and he he starts getting real nervous. Like his heart starts fainting a little bit because he's like, man, this is a really dangerous path where we're going. And as Tolkien puts it, he says, this is a sure way to death. So he he kind of realizes, like, there's really no way out for me if we keep going this way. Um, but Turin, he kind of talks back to him and he, he says, hey, it's the only it's the only path to death or life. And we just we just got to go, you know, <laughs> stop being a baby. Let's go. Come on. Pick like 
pull 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 your life by the little door lasses and <laughs> little door lasses. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so all, all this is happening at night, if you remember. So it is. I mean, it is a pretty treacherous road that Turin's taking them on, and uh, as as they're trying to cross this river in the dark, um, that he he assumed that you know he had his two companions. Turin assumed he had his two companions with him, but when he looked back, it was only just Hunthor. Because, as Tolkien says, Dorlath failed at the crossing, I think. For a man may love war and yet dread many things. He sits shivering on the shore, I guess, and may shame take him for his words to my kinsmen. So that's Hunthor telling Turin what what became of his other companion, Dorlath. As he's just like, yeah, I'm going to step back. I'm, You guys are on it. But he didn't even tell him goodbye. He didn't tell him good luck. He just kind of slowly was like, yeah, I'm with you, man. Yeah, it's all pitch black and you can't hear anything because of the sound of the water. And he probably just like stopped walking and they had no idea he stopped following him. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, this you know, B.A. orc slaying Dorlas couldn't even muster the courage to cross the Teeglin. And so it was just Turin and Hunthor as they continuing to try to cross this river to the other side. And uh, as they did so, they could see a little flickering, uh, what looked like kind of like a smoldering fire. And they heard the snarling of Glaurung. So they knew he was near. They knew they were on the right track. Uh, but they looked for attack to s- a place to set up their attack. Because again, the dragon's coming in a straight line and he's going to cross over the river. So they're, again, their idea, their approach is going to be stabbing up from the bottom. Um, so as they approached, they got a little bit closer the smell of the dragon was just unbearable. Like it just came over them like crazy and it just made them all dizzy. Like, I don't know if you've ever been in a place where you just smell something horrendous, but it just kind of like takes, it takes over all your senses and you, you get dizzy and like these guys were, they're trying to climb the rocks, but again, they're the smell of this reek of this dragon is, is over overwhelming. And so Tolkien says, forgetting in their misery, all the fear, save the dread of falling into the teeth of the Teeglin. So they're just trying to like make sure they don't fall. They don't care about silence anymore. They don't really care about that. They're just trying not to fall. <laughs> and uh, as Seth says, as the twang continue the see what I did there. The, the word that the you twain. did learn the two people, a company of two people, right? <laughs> it means twain. Is that why Mark Twain changed his name to Mark Twain? Two pr- dual personalities. Know. No idea. Mark the second. I was making a joke about your dad joke last last podcast because you said I, I'm just <laughs> all right. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, as they are looking for the per- perfect place to just kind of hunker down and plan their attack, they decided to pick a a spot and trust that they wouldn't fall. You know, th- th- they'd have time to climb up and seeing where the dragon is going to cross. And so they found a spot and they trusted this is going to be a good spot to do that. And so they just kind of waited because, again, the dragon's still sleeping. It's nighttime. So this is there's really nothing to do but wait. And so uh, Tolkien says uh, Turin Bar, Turin, he, he sank into a dream, which in all his will was given to clinging, though a black tide sucked and gnawed at his limbs. So I can imagine like he's he's kind of coming in and out of consciousness. But all he can think about is like staying where he's at, you know, rather than like giving way to the weakness in his limbs to the the tiredness to like just trying to fight back the the sleepiness and and obviously not wanting to fall asleep and then fall into the river because that'd be really bad yeah you, uh, I, you mentioned you felt like this a couple times yeah i was gonna ask if you've ever had an experience kind of like this and i imagine maybe even on that that snow uh snowshoeing trip you had some types of moments like this where you just kind of go into a daze and all that matters in that moment is exactly the situation that you're in. Your brain doesn't go anywhere else. Yeah. Um, 
and I know for me, a couple of, a couple of times something like this has happened to me was right the summer before I decided to go to Colorado State for my first undergraduate degree. Uh, Darren invited me up to go uh, rock climbing on the side of Horsetooth, and we just oh, were yeah. doing bouldering, so no ropes or anything. I didn't even have climbing shoes. Um, it was just, hey, let's climb up and have fun. And and Darren found this route, and Darren's a very good climber, and yeah he did it and I was like, Oh yeah, I can do that. And I went to follow him up and I got, I mean, we were up there. I was probably up there about 30 feet with no ropes or anything. And I was like, Mm. it just, there was this little shelf that I had to scale from left to right. And the only place I really had to hold on to was uh, a slanted thing to grip onto that. You couldn't get an actual grip. You just kind of had to put your palms at it and it was at a slant. And see, there was nothing to grip Mm. and there was, uh, like, you know, the rock dust that kind of gets on there made yep. it more slippery. Yep. And I remember I just froze. And for like 10 minutes, I was like, I can't move. I can't get back down. I can't get across this. And I'm going to die because like I'm 30 <laughs> feet in the air with no ropes. All we have is yeah, this tiny little yeah. pad at the bottom. And I just, you know, kind of like Turin is going through like he he went into that like dreamlike state where all mm-hmm. his will was given to clinging. Um that's that's just what that reminded me of. I'm I'm yeah. sure you've had some similar experience to that. No, I don't get scared like that. I mean, come on. <laughs> no, I have. I liar. yeah, I know. Uh, you probably remember when we went to the sand dunes and like we climbed. I think it was probably the back dunes or something. <laughs> and climbed all the way yeah, to the top. You were like ten, maybe. But I vividly remember thinking like. I can't move because if I try to go mm. back down this hill, I'm going to die. Like I'm just going to yeah. fall. And it's like, cause we were, you know, I think that back dune, that first like hill, oh, it's ridiculous. Dune, it's, it's like incredibly feet. steep pitch. Yeah. Yeah. And it's super steep. Yeah. And so I'm just looking down at the camp, like where everybody's at just chilling and like, I can't move. I can't do this. And so I made dad climb up and get me. I was going to say, I, if I remember correctly, dad had to climb all the way up to get you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But so that I, does, yeah, I mean, you were been, you had to have been under ten years old at that point, right? Yeah, no, I was I was really young. But I've had other moments like that. I mean, yeah, snowboarding um, before jumping off a cliff or something like that. You just kind of like, do I really gonna? Am I really gonna do this? Am I really gonna go? Uh, but yeah, I definitely get where Tuin's at. And I mean, again, he's you got to think he's. It's not just the fear of like holding on while like kind of sitting on this cliff waiting. You know, there's there's a dragon right next to him like it's it's yeah. the fear that also his impending task is to kill a dragon right the father of dragons like i imagine that is playing a huge factor in the fact that he's just climbing you know holding on to something that's yeah it's wild yeah this whole quest is basically a suicide mission yep um just to circle back on my story real quick i made it across safely as oh, you okay. can <laughs> well here through the microphone yeah. And then Darren was like, man, that scared the crap out of me. I need to do it again to overcome my fear. So he did. <laughs> and then I went, yeah, I should do it again. <laughs> you did it again? I did. That's and a good way to do it. Yeah. It was a little, little better, but not much better. <laughs> uh, it's, a, it's amazing. We're still alive. Yeah, no <laughs> kidding. The things we've done. Uh, that's funny. We're great influences on each other, but that was a great time. Uh, yeah. Anyways, back to Tour and Tour and Bar. Uh, so here he is clinging to the edge of the cliff here. So kind of like Sam was describing earlier, remember they had to climb down the ravine, cross the river, climb up the ravine. Uh, so he's on the opposite side that he started. And 
the pair of uh, of the two people that are left because Doralus uh, wimped out. So you've got Turin and Hunthor, and the pair of them overheard a great noise, and the walls of the chasm quivered and echoed as Glaurung awoke and readied his advance. And so I kind of just imagine that, like, you know, you wake up and yawn, but this is like an evil dragon's yeah. version of that. He wakes up and he's just like, I hate everything. <laughs> um <laughs> And so they're like, okay, he's waking up. It's, it's go time. Uh, yep. And so they start paying real close attention to where he is. And fortunately, but unfortunately, Glaurung, the place that he decides to cross is actually a little bit north of where they're at. So they're going to have to traverse this this cliff to get over to where he's at. But as Tolkien says, it's it's a good thing that they weren't there because uh, uh, Gorthang, Gorthang, here I am doing that again. There it is again. Glaurung. <laughs> I don't know why my brain, those wires are not crossing very well. Yeah, that's tough. Um, it's tough. Glaurung actually decided to set forth. And I, again, I kind of imagine Boromir at the beginning of the fellowship when they leave, he blows his horn mm. and he's like, even though I'll go through like a thief in the night or I won't go forward like a thief in the night, even if I, yeah. you know, um, go quietly yeah. after or whatever. So this is Glaurung's yeah. version of it. He just, sends this massive, massive blast of fire just straight in front of him. And he fills up the entire ravine with a red light and black shadows flying among the rocks. But the trees before him withered and went up in smoke and stones crashed down into the river. And thereupon he hurled himself forward and grappled the further cliff with his mighty claws and began to heave himself across. So we say thankfully because that blast would have killed both Turin and Hunthor if they were still in the in the pathway there. Um, yeah. And th- I love that description because it really puts into perspective just the size and power that Glaurung has. Like he this Absolutely. isn't this isn't a little dragon. This is the father of all dragons. Mm-hmm. And so after this happened, like we mentioned, we need to go north. Our heroes have to go, you know, they're not in the right spot for this to work. So they start traversing the cliff to get over towards the giant worm as he's trying to get across. And as they came close to Glaurung, uh, Tolkien says that the heat and the stench was so bad that Turin almost fell into the tagling. However, Hunthor was there and grabbed his arm and like pulled him back to the rock and steadied him. Mm-hmm. And at this point, Turin is like, Whoa, that like that momentary lapse of focus almost killed me. And he says, great yeah. heart. Happy was the choice that took you for a helper. And, well, just as everybody that Turin likes, as he's saying this, and as Hunthor saves his life, a giant stone that I imagine was dislodged by Glaurung as he jumped across, it had to have been, uh, Tolkien says it smote Hunthor, and he fell into the tagling, and the way he uh, phrases it is, so ended not the least valiant of the House of Haleth. So, out of nowhere, he's just gone. That sucks. I mean, can you imagine? Obviously, Turin's dealt with a lot of loss already up to this point, but like he's just like, oh man, thank God you just saved my life. Uh oh, good. See ya. <laughs> yep, yeah. Checks out right on cue. Well, and he totally takes it that way too because he sits there and he just, he's like, yeah, I, this is, of course, this is what's going to happen. And he actually shouts aloud. He says, alas, it is ill to walk in my shadow. Why did I seek aid? For you are alone, O master of doom, as you should have known it must be. Now conquer alone. And so it's like, yeah. come on. Anybody that gets close to Turin, is, it just doesn't end well for them. And, and he's aware of that at this point. Yeah, so I I feel pretty bad for Turin at this point. I don't know. What do you think? 
Oh yeah, I mean, you just got to feel. Of course, he's he kind of knew that this was a suicide mission. He tells Dorlos, like you know, live or die. Like this is what we're gonna do. Sure, but you got to imagine he he probably feels a little guilty too. I mean, the dude just saved his life, and then he just gets killed like literally seconds later. And I don't know if I'm too or not. Yeah, yeah, I'm feeling guilty. I'm feeling scared. I'm feeling alone. Um, Yeah, he's in a very vulnerable place right now. Yeah, and I I don't know. In my mind too, I feel like Turin. Most of the people that have died have become have been like almost directly indirectly by his hand, and mm-hmm. in this case, Hunthor dies just by being next to him. And so I'm sure Turin is just thinking to himself like, no matter who I get close to, they just end up dying. Even though I knew yeah. this was virtually a suicide mission, like he doesn't even get to die by the dragon. Like it's not even the mm. dragon that kills him. It's it's somebody saving my life that in turn dies. Yeah. Um, but Tolkien goes on to explain uh, this in this little next excerpt, excerpt, and I just find it fascinating. He says, "Then he summoned to him all his will and his hatred for the dragon and his master, and it seemed to him that suddenly he found strength of heart and of body that he had not known before." And this is Turin we're talking about, right? So. If anything you can say about Turin, it's that he's strong of heart and of body, right? So Absolutely. this is a strength he had never felt before. So is this endogenous strength that he's finding within himself? Is this exogenous strength that the that maybe Eru is giving him to perform this task indirect you know, without explicitly stating, or one of the Valar somehow, you know, enlightening his heart? Like what what do you think? Yeah. First of all, those are very fascinating words that I don't think I've ever heard in my entire life. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I got to imagine it's it's hard to, again, not parallel these stories with our own reality, our own beliefs of Christianity and kind of the spiritual warfare that we believe in. And so to think that, I mean, Morgoth is pretty much like if you if you kind of look at him like he's Satan, he has influence over things. He's got his minions, his demons. And if you look at Eru kind of like God, he's got his his angels, his Valar. and and I can't imagine they just sit back and watch this happen and just be like, nah, Turin, you, you brought this upon yourself. Like the curse of Morgoth is going to win out. And it, I mean, again, we can, we can debate if it does or not later on, but I don't know. I feel like, I feel like there's, he, he leaves it up to, for you to decide if you want that to be the case. Yes. Like if you need to believe that, like that there are other beings in, in this world helping us out, then yeah, like that's why he puts that in there for. If you just want to, you know, decide that, nope, it's on me. Like, this own strength that I mustered on myself. I, I don't know. I think again, he likes to let people decide for themselves. And for me, I'm like, yes, I need something other than myself to strengthen me. Absolutely. Like that's the only way that I can get through some of the st- stuff that we've been through is through that divine strength personally, but obviously not everybody thinks that way. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a fascinating point. I think you're probably right that Tolkien does this intentionally to leave it open to your own interpretation, you know, cause on surface level, you're probably just like, you know, this is a lifetime of tragedy and hatred towards Morgoth and in turn Glaurung. Mm. But if you understand the world that Tolkien created on a deeper level, maybe you're like, well, even though I, he doesn't explicitly say that Eru intervened, you know, I, I'd be willing to bet that I, I'm kind of on your boat, you know, yeah. like I think I think there's something there, even though he doesn't say. Well, and Ch- Turin is a children of Eru like the men are the children uh, second children of of Eru like the, he loves yeah. him he cares about him and obviously this is a very like important part not just for Turin but for men in general like the the last house of men 
um, you know, the house of Howlith is about to get just completely demolished. Sure. Sure. Um, so at this point, Turin is, he's just pissed off. He's furious. He just lost Hunthor. He knows that he has to kill this dragon or like Sam just said, the rest of the men of Brethil and the last remnants of the house of Howlith are all going to die. And so, um, at this point, Turin is, he's scrambled over. He's right underneath Glaurung and Glaurung's belly, actually the weight of it sank down to where it almost touched his head and it, it exposed the mid midmost part on, or midmost parts of the dragon. So like his, his belly, his navel area. Yeah. And Tolkien describes, <laughs> this is actually really funny. Tolkien describes Turin's view of all of this as pale and wrinkled was their underside and all dank with a gray slime to which clung all manner of dripping filth and it stank of death <laughs> to which clung all manner of dropping filth yeah that's Ugh. disgusting <laughs> yeah uh anyway so at this point turin's like i mean glaurung's basically sitting on top of his head he's got gorth gorthang in his hand see there i you you pause got there make sure i said the right one <laughs> you got it. and with all of his hatred, he just stabs straight upwards into Glaurung. And Tolkien says, the deadly blade, long and greedy, went into its mm. belly, even to its hilts. So, I mean, this I is a that. huge sword. Turin is one of the strongest heroes of old. And he, you know, stab- I-, I imagine what the sword's got to be like three, four feet long, probably at least. Yeah. yeah. And I imagine. it's going all the way up into the hilt. So, I mean... Mm-hmm. Glaurung just feels this one. Um, and he knows it too. And Tolkien actually says he, he understood that he received his death pang and he screamed mm. out. And with a great spasm, he threw the rest of his bulk across the chasm. So kind of with his like dying effort, he was like, I'm not going to slink into the river table yeah. and I'm going to get across. Um, and so he, when he did this, he actually wrenched, uh, Gorthang from Turin's hand. So he ripped the sword out because it's so far into his belly that, yep. you know, Turin couldn't hold on to it. It just kept going. Uh, and so when he reached the other side, he tossed and turned in great agony and he destroyed all the trees about him and, and uh, basically just fought and writhed around until finally in a last smoke uh, and a ruin, he laid still. And so Glaurung is, is pretty much defeated. Um, yeah. Turin decides that he's like hey i need to get back over there because now I, like i liked my sword before I, it did really well for me but now it just mm-hmm. killed my number two foe in glaurung yep. and i need to go retrieve that and so he walks over and he came to the place of the dying dragon and he looked upon his stricken enemy without pity and was glad and that just tells you the amount of hatred that he has for glaurung yeah. i mean you don't kill something and think you know, I have no pity for the death of that creature, and I'm happy that that creature is gone. But that's how Turin felt. Right. Absolutely. 100%. And so if you can kind of picture, uh, Glaurung is laying on his side at this point with his mouth open, but Tolkien says that he had no fires left and his eyes were closed. Mm-hmm. And so Turin decided, all right, he's dead. I'm going to approach the dragon and get my sword out. So I kind of imagine just like a, like an animated, you know, scene where the hero puts his his one leg on top of the, his foe and goes to rip the sword out you know just yeah like yeah pure uh prowess and conquering of his task 
and he goes mm -hmm. to do this. And as he's got his hand on the hilt and his leg up to help get leverage to pull it out, he actually decides to gloat a little bit. Yeah. And he he looks at at Glaurung and he says, kind of, if you remember when they first met on the bridge of Nargothrond, mm -hmm. uh, Glaurung was like, hail Turin. Hail Turin. Yeah. 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 So well, he met. decides. Exactly. So in. Uh, Turin's like, I got the last laugh here. So he cries out and he says, Hail, worm of Morgoth, we meet again. Or no, he says, Well met again. Die now and the darkness have you. Thus is Turin, son of Hurin, avenged. And with that, he pulled out Gorthang from Glaurung's belly. However, when he pulled it out, some of the poisonous, venomous dragon blood that was pure black got on his hand. And Tolkien describes that it burned and he's and Turin just cries out in pain and that actually makes Glaurung stir a little bit and Glaurung doesn't even say anything it's just the power of his eyes so if you remember his eyes were shut mm -hmm. when Turin approached him and now Turin is writhing in pain from this poisonous blood that's on his hand and Glaurung just looks at him and the way Tolkien describes it is that it was with, he looked at him with such malice that it seemed to Turin as if he were hit by an arrow. And he mm. fell into a deep swoon next to the dragon. So even in his dying moments, Glaurung is still a formidable foe. Yeah, powerful enough to just like be like, oh, okay, you, you, you attacked. I'm, I'm not down yet. I'm not, you know, I'm not knocked out. I'm going to do my last, last worse as I can. And, and so, yeah, Turin goes down and, you know, I, as I was reading this, I was like, okay, well, what's happened next? And then in the next paragraph, Tolkien's like, okay, we're going to leave him there. <laughs> we're going <laughs> to, we're going to bounce back over to where Niniel is because, I mean, you think about it, like, again, this is a giant dragon that they're fighting and yeah. that Turin's fighting and the noise of the fight of, you know, after, especially after he was stabbed by Turin was so loud. And so everyone over in the Ningirith where the camp was, where Nino was, hears the screams of the dragon and, and they're terrified. They're like, oh my gosh, the, the dragon is just, he's, he's bathing in the blood of his foes. Like that's what they're kind of assuming. Like, okay, they just yeah. completely, he just completely destroyed Turin and Hunthor and Dorlas. Like he's probably just chewing on their bones right now. And he's making their way to, uh, he's, he's making his way to us. Like they, they're just terrified. And because they kind of watched from afar and they could see the, the fire that had come from the dragon as well. But there were no titans. No tidings came. You didn't, you know, after after a while it got silent and yeah, you know, there was no dragon, there was no Turin, there was no Hunthor, nothing like that. And so again, they're just kind of waiting. Like that silence that comes over and Niniel's sitting alone. And again, she still has this uncontrolled shivering that happened in our in the last chapters. She just the shuddering of her limbs. She can't stop it. You know, I've I've been in that place where it's cold and you just you're, you're shaking and you 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 don't yeah. control it. It's not anything yeah. you're doing. And and she, as Tolkien says, she feels the darkness creeping over her again, um, which again is is probably a combination of the curse of Morgoth, but also the uh, spell of of Glaurung, um, because she heard the voice of God of Glaurung and and Tolkien said her heart died within her when she heard his voice. And so I got to I got to imagine like at some point subconsciously she remembers the voice of the dragon even if she doesn't right. understand why but it just puts her in such a, a terrified state she just kind of sits there and and sh shivers like crazy and doesn't know what to do. But our our lame buddy Brandier he hobbled his way out to the camp and he found her. It took him a while, he was really tired, but Tolkien said it was his fear for her that drove him to her. So, you know, you got to give him a little bit of 
prowess. You know, good job. He he limped all the way there. Good job. Yeah, didn't uh, if I remember correctly, didn't he say it was about five leagues? Yes. Is that ring yeah, of that five there, yeah. leagues? Five leagues. Yeah. Okay. Five leagues yeah, of limping. So that's a that's long, a long way. I, I, yeah. So that's a that's a quite a feat for Brandir. Yeah. Yeah. You got to give him his credit here. He he really does care about Nino. I mean, for how much he doesn't care about Turin or even some of the other people, he really does care about Nino. And so he gets there, and you know he he's tired. He's he's hobbling around but the men of the camp start telling kind of what they what they witnessed and then they're thinking okay the dragons probably crossed the river and the black sword tour and he must be dead and so this is when brandier's thoughts kind of turn a little bit selfish so he he's looking at nino and she's just shuddering in the cold she's shivering like crazy and he has this moment where he thinks turin's dead and nino's alive hey this is good this is perfect for me. Like I will come in. I will be the, the helping hand. I'm going to pick her up. I'm going to care for her and she's going to fall in love with me. You know, that's kind of what he's thinking. Uh, but then, you know, he's thinking this is, this is good news for me. So he, he takes off his coat, his, his cloak and he casts it over Nino. Um, Cause again, she was sh- just shivering like crazy. So he wanted to make sure that she, she was warmed a little bit. Um, and they just kind of sat there in silence. Cause he didn't actually know any words to say. Cause again, his, his selfish thought is going crazy. Like, Oh, I, I can, you know, live with Nino now, I can take her as mine, but he doesn't want to say that right now, obviously, because she's still thinking, okay, my husband is dead. The father of my child is dead. What the heck am I going to do? Yeah. So they just sit there in silence for a little while until finally Nino was like, or uh, Brander was like, you know, I think, I think we need to go. I think we need to get out of here. All right. And so he, he kind of tells her, he's like, Hey, we, we should probably get going because, and he thought of about the people in, in Brethel, and he's like, the dragon's probably headed that way. They're probably dead. There's nothing else to do but then to get Nino out of here. Right. And so he, he touches her arm. He says, hey, follow me. And for whatever reason, she just kind of mindlessly says, OK, she actually doesn't say anything. She just kind of like follows Brandier and they start walking for a little ways. And then she kind of snaps out of it. She goes, hey, wait, where, where are we going? She's like, is this the way? And Brandier, being the hopeless soul that he is, he Tells her that ah, there's no way to escape the dragon. There's no way to go. Where is the way? He's like, I'm just trying to get you away from the dragon. Mm-hmm. And Nino is like, wait, I thought you were leading me to Turin this whole time. I thought you were leading me to my husband. Like, that's where I'm going to go. That's the only place that I'm going to go. And so she kind of like snaps out of it and, and bolts, bolts in the direction of the cabin in Neris where she where does she knew a lot. That the dragon she? she does. <laughs> she loves to run. She loves running her sprints. And Brandier, of course, he's like, ah, no, don't, don't go. And he calls after her, but she wouldn't heed him. And so he hobbles after her because, you know, he, he's like, I, I have nothing but Nino at this point. And so he, he hobbled after her, cursing his fate as he went, as Tolkien says, like just understanding that his fate is tied to Nino and he hates it, but whatever. Yeah. Like that's, this is the only thing I can do. And so this is when, man, things get a little bit dicey, a little bit crazy. So yeah. Tolkien mentions really quickly that as she's running towards Turin, she kind of stops for a second at the Haudenelleth, which if you remember, that's where Finduilas is buried. And that's where Turin actually found uh, Nino. And she kind of like stopped there and paused for a minute. And you could tell there's something going on. She kind of remembers something, but she just kind of freaks out. Tolkien says with a loud cry, she bolts again, casting off the cloak that she had worn, um, uh, Brandir's cloak. And Tolkien says it as if he, she was casting off the darkness that was over her. 
And underneath that, she was clad all in white, which I'm not sure is an important note, but I put it in there. I don't know if that's important or not, but <laughs> she went there and she ran as fast as she could again to the cabin in Neris, the kind of hill, the cliff where Turin and the dragon uh, ended up laying. And she saw the body of the dragon, this gigantic body of a, a beast. And right next to the beast was a man, the body of a man. And laying next to him was a sword. And she realized this is my husband. This is Turinbar. And so she ran to him, threw herself down on him, weeping and kissing him, you know, trying to like, hey, are you alive? Are you okay? Recognizing that he wasn't, he didn't re respond at all. And she sees his hand and it's burned from the black blood. And so she rips off a piece of her white cloak and she bound his, his hand up and, and she cried aloud to him. She said, Turinbar, Turinbar, come back, hear me. Awake, for it's Nino. The dragon is dead, dead, and I alone am here by you. Again, that desperate call, like, hey, come back. Please don't go where I can't follow, as Sam says. You know, like, we yeah. can't, you can't leave me. And Brandir, man, this guy's hauling butt. <laughs> He's hauling some lame butt, but he gets to this clearing. And uh, yeah, I think Tolkien mentions that he finds like a shortcut to go around, but he's still going pretty fast. But uh, yeah, he's he, moving. He gets, for for somebody who's hobbling yeah he's he's going pretty quick but he gets there and he hears the cry coming from from nino and he just kind of stands there and he's he's huffing and puffing but Turin never responded to the cry of nino but someone else did glaurung stirred at the cry of nino and he opened his eyes and kind of head turned towards Nino, and he says, Hail, Neonor, daughter of Hurin. We meet again ere we end. I give you joy that you have found your brother at last. Again, he's mentioning, yeah, you found Turin. He's right here. He's laying right next to you. This is your brother. <laughs> and now you shall know him. And then he gives him a list of who Turin is in his, in his mind. This is his description of Turin and his life up to this point. Now you shall know him. A stabber in the dark, treacherous to foes, faithless to friends, and a curse unto his kin. Turin, son of Hurin! But the worst of his deeds you shall feel in yourself. Oh my goodness. Man, that, that's maybe the... Uh, man, that's maybe the worst, most accurate description I have ever heard of Turin. And it's from yeah. Glaurung. Yeah. I mean, he's a, a stabber in the dark, treacherous to foes. So he's giving him, he's giving him, giving, you know, him, credit. His, giving yeah. him some credit for, yeah, he's, he's hard to deal with. Faithless to friends. Nobody wants to be told that. A curse unto his kin. Nobody mm -hmm. wants that. And then he says in that last sentence, yeah, but the worst of all, even over all that other stuff that I just mentioned, you're going to feel in yourself. Yeah, that is. I mean, Oof. obviously, obviously alluding to the fact that Nino is carrying his child, which, again, yeah. as we talked about, is either her niece or nephew slash son or daughter, like, because, again, they're brother and sister. Yep. And, oh, my goodness. So then Glaurung, that was the last thing he says. So he gets his last laugh, right? Oh, yeah. Again, just the way that he did with Turin just a second ago, getting him to fall asleep. He gets this last laugh with, with Neonor, and he dies. But as he dies... So does the shadow and the amnesia that was over Neonel. And so now she recognizes I'm not Neonel. I'm Neonor. I am brother of Turin. 
I am the daughter of Hurin and Morwen. And that means that, oh my gosh, like Tolkien says it perfectly. She remembered everything and her yeah. body shook with horror and anguish. I can't imagine like just that realization. Like, I mean, we've all done something stupid, right? But we know what we did that was stupid. She had no idea that anything that she did with Turin was going to end up this way. And her well, body just shook with horror and anguish. And it's not, it's not even just that it's stupid. It's that it's shameful and disgraceful yeah. and quite frankly, disgusting. And right. she's feeling all of those emotions at once because that amnesia is lifted and it all just comes rushing back to her. So it's not like she's slowly discovering these things. It's that all at once she's getting hit with all of this truth that she just quite frankly, how, how do you live with that truth? Right. Exactly. You, you hit the nail on the head. How do you live with that? And Brandier, he's leaning up against a, a tree right now, huffing and puffing, but he's just blown. <laughs> yeah. He's like, what did I just hear? Like, this is Turin <laughs> and he did it with his sister. <laughs> like, so he's stricken with unbelief and you gotta just feel so bad for Neonor. Again, Man. she didn't ask for any of this and she stood up, kind of looked down on the, on the seemingly lifeless body of Turin and she cried, farewell, oh, twice beloved, you know, because I loved you once yeah. as my brother, and then apparently I loved you again as my husband. Yep. And she calls him a Turin Turinbar Turinbartonen, <laughs> meaning <laughs> master of doom by doom mastered. Because again, he was saying, oh, I'm the master of my doom. I'm going to figure out how to take care of this. And she's like, yep. no, you're, you're, you were mastered by your doom. Yeah. <sighs> Then she she finishes it with says, "Oh, happy to be dead." Thinking he's dead, like you didn't have to hear any of that. Like I wish I was like you. I wish I was dead yeah. and didn't hear any of that. He didn't so, have to live with those realizations. Exactly, exactly. And so, kind of with that wish, "Oh, happy to be dead," she just darts again. She she bolts towards the edge of the cliff, and as she's doing that, Brander's like, "Wait, no, stop!" And and she kind of stops. She looks back and she says, "Wait." Man, that was ever your counsel. Would that I had heeded it, but now it's too late. And now, and now I will wait no more on Middle Earth. And Tolkien says, swiftly she came to the brink of Cabin Inaris, and there stood and looked out at the loud water, crying, Water, water, take now Niniel Ninior, daughter of Hurin. Morning, morning, daughter of Morwen. Take me and bear me down to the sea. And with that, she jumped off the cliff. And the loud water concealed her final cry. So she killed herself with, I mean, with the knowledge of what was going on, of what she had just done, what was inside of her body right now. Yeah. You said it. She can't live with herself. She jumps off the cliff. And then Tolkien goes on to say he, he renames the cabin in Eris to cabin near Amareth. Amareth. I don't know. Near Something like that, but meaning, <laughs> meaning the leap of dreadful doom. And he also mentions that all living things shunned that area, that deers would not leap over that place again, and that men would not go near it. So again, she'd, she'd rather be dead than be alone with her child and remembering that it's also kind of her niece or nephew or whatever that works out to be. So, so ends yeah. Neonor, daughter Man. of Purin. So... This will come full circle entirely next episode. But if you remember last week when mm -hmm. Niniel and Turin were talking 
and Turin told her neither um what how neither did he of us will be neither of us will be slain the... by Morgoth or his minions. Yep. Um he told her that. Yeah. So if you remember that, it means two things. One, he was right about Niniel or Neonor. She took her own yep. life, not killed directly by Morgoth or one of his minions. And that two, also means something else. <laughs> means Turin's not dead. Turin is not dead. Um, but we don't know that yet. So at this point, Brandir uh, is standing on the cliff and he's heartbroken. Uh, but at the same time, Tolkien said that he couldn't take the death that he desired. So he went over to and, and looked down into the river Taglin and was like, I, I need to take my own life too. Like, I don't yeah. want to live anymore. I just lost my people. Nobody respects me anymore. I just lost yeah. the one person that was keeping me alive. I should kill myself. And, but he just couldn't quite do it. And so Brander, he's just, you know, kind of being introspective and thinking, and he looks over at Turin's, what he thinks is a dead body. And he says, do I hate you or do I pity you? But you are dead and I owe you no thanks. Taker of all that I had or would have mm. by my, but my people owe you a debt and it is fitting from me. They should hear it. So he's basically saying, I can't kill myself. This is a tale and it's tidings that need to be brought to the rest of the people. Cause they're all yeah. still up on, uh, Nan Gareth, I believe is that how it's yeah, called. Yeah. They're all still up there terrified thinking that Glaurung is about to, you know, just lay waste to their entire town and everything. Mm -hmm. And so Tolkien actually says that, uh, Dorlas starts limping back to camp. Um, Brandier, but on his way, yeah, 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 my bad. Uh, Brandier starts limping, <laughs> back towards his camp and as he's walking he's he sees a face like a figure and he looks at him and he makes eye contact and he recognizes him but the figure darts behind a tree and since he recognized him he actually yells out and he he calls up to him and he he comes upon Doralas and he's like what in the world just happened what tidings do you have how are you alive and mm -hmm. and Turin's dead what happened to Hunthor my kinsman like yeah. you obviously were here for all this what what happened and Doralas basically told him how how Turin was like oh we need to cross the river and he's like I I'm not faint of heart but I'm not goat footed which I think is actually kind of a foot a funny uh description he's like I'm not goat footed which yeah being I mean, you from see Colorado mountain ghosts. yeah exactly you see those guys they they can climb anything they're leaning off the edge of like two inch ledge and they're just bound bounding up the cliff no big deal it's a perfect description it's just a hilarious yeah. one yeah. uh <laughs> and yeah growing up in colorado and and going in the mountains and hiking i've seen plenty of them and they're impressive they are insane absolutely yeah um and so brandier it just kind of dawns on him and he's like wow Dorlos deserted his companions because he was too scared and and brandier at this point, he's just pissed off. I mean, he's like, are you serious? You were sitting there egging me on and egging on the black sword and all like he's just he never liked Doralos in the first place. They would kind of yeah. butted heads with what they thought was best. But now he's like, wow, you egged on Turin, which brought this doom upon us. And then you can't even follow through with it like you're you're chickening out. And so he yeah. scorns him and he's like, you didn't even bring back tidings. And, and if you would have brought back tidings of what happened, then Niniel wouldn't have had to go searching for them herself. And then she wouldn't have had to learn that, hey, your brother's child is inside of your body. And yeah. in turn, he believes that Niniel still would have been alive. And 
So he's just pissed at Dorilas. And Dorilas gets, you know, his pride is actually pretty wounded. And he, he goes to aim a blow with his fist at at Brandier. And it's a the way Tolkien writes it, you'd have to read it word for word. It's interesting yeah. because he kind of uses a twist, a little play on words, but he makes you think that that Brandier is about to about to die because of Dorilas, but his uh, he actually received his death blow, and he, meaning Dorilas, because uh, Brandier had already drawn his little short sword and stabbed mm-hmm. Dorilas, and he kills him. So he gets a little bit of revenge. Uh, he doesn't get revenge on yeah. Turin. Turin's, you know, dead, or so we think, Seemingly, at this point. Yeah. Um, and but he does get to he does get to get his revenge on Dorilas. So. He still is like, okay, wow. Well, that's something else I need to bring tidings of. Like, I can't imagine what's going through his brain right now. Yeah. But he decides, okay, I got to go back to the camp. And he gets back up there and people are just like, what's going on? What's going on? And he's like, gather around for the tale I have is unlike any you'll ever hear, basically. Probably kind of relishing the fact that like he lost all control over his people for that time when Turin was there. Turin takes up mantle of leader of the you know House of Haleth, and then now he's like, all right, now I'm the last man standing. You're going to hear this tale. And like, it's going to be from it's me. Epic. Yeah, it's going to be from me. Exactly. Yeah. And and so he tells everybody what's what happened. And he he goes and he says, Niniel is dead and the dragon is dead and Turambar is dead and he says well the way he phrases it is like well the dragon is dead and Turin is dead and both are good basically yeah. he's like I am glad that Turin is also dead and then he tells yep. all the people he's like for Niniel and Tur- Turambar because that's the name he went by Niniel mm-hmm. and Turambar were both children of Hurin and at this point, everybody's just like, whoa, like, are you serious? <laughs> and so yeah. he just he gives these tidings, kind of tells the story. Um, and he they the the people of, of Brethil actually changed the name of Brethil. You know, don't call this place Brethil anymore. We're changing the name to Sarch Nishin which means the grave of the children of Hurin. Uh, and the people of Brethil are actually you know they're really sad they basically say well niniel's body is going to be washed to the sea and that's a good enough grave for her yeah however we can't leave our hero and our our rescuer to rot next to a dragon and so they the chapter ends with the people deciding that they need to go dig a grave for turin yeah so they head off over to the direction of turin and and that's the end of the the chapter and again I know Seth says just, you could change the page and see it, but we're not going to tell you what the next chapter name is, just in case you haven't read the story yet. Oh, geez. <laughs> what a crazy, wild chapter, though. I mean, it again, if you're reading this for the first time, and again, I knew some bits and pieces of it, unfortunately, just kind of through different podcasts and just conversations I've had with you, but just reading through it and the, the conversations that, uh, like, even Glaurong just talks to Nino with and just seeing that shock come over her. I mean, it's just crazy. It's just a crazy chapter. And this story again is so vastly different than anything that, you know, we're used to in Tolkien's world with like the Hobbit and Lord of the Rings. Like it's a grown up story. It's not a children's story. It's a tragedy. There's no there and back again in this story. There's no, 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 you know, the good guys went out and good conquers evil it's it's a very gray story which is rare for for tolkien's writings on in middle earth at least yeah there isn't even i mean 
I don't know, you can maybe even make an argument there is no good people to win out at all anyway, like so far from the people we've seen. Well, the one good and person got killed. Yeah. Yeah, the you one good character we had. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Beleg. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And supposedly our hero kill him. <laughs> Obviously on accident, but still it's just and then again, like even the death of Hunthor too, like uh, somebody like, oh, I'll follow you. Bad idea. Well, and bad idea. That one, I mean, he's not even a prominent character, but it, it stings. His death stings yeah. for multiple reasons. Like he didn't yeah. even want to go in the first place, but he was courageous enough to be like, somebody else needs to go. And Brandir, mm-hmm. who is the representative of the House of Haleth, is incapable because of his limbs. Yep. And I need to step up, and it's it's my responsibility. So he doesn't even want to go, but he steps up and takes this yeah. mantle upon himself. And then when Doralas fails at the crossing, he's right there with Turin. You know, if you were to put, mm-hmm. if you were a betting man, you'd put money on Doralas being the one to be sure. behind him. And sure. instead, it's Hunthor. And then even when Turin, of all people, you know, he he fetters a little bit, and he would die if it wasn't for Hunthor. So. That I, mm-hmm. I mean, think about that. So Turin's mind is clouded, and his his uh, like his ability to function properly is impeded. However, Hunthor's yep. isn't. So I mean, right. that just speaks to his character. And then, snap of a finger, there goes Hunthor as well. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. I really like Hunthor. He's a cool character, but yeah, <laughs> it just doesn't last very long, unfortunately. Yeah. It- yeah, he doesn't, and that's been the case with so many of these kind of side characters that Turin brought in, and and also also something that isn't really brought up, isn't really mentioned. But I mean, as much as like Nino, we talked a lot about her being afraid, like her husband's died, all that kind of stuff. I mean, Dorlas and Hunthor are married too, and now both of their wives, and I don't know if they had kids, but I mean, they're left, yeah, they're left widowed now because of it. So, yeah, everywhere you look is just desolation and despair there's really no hope anywhere coming from any of this i mean yeah i guess the dragon's dead that's good but nothing else and with how hard this chapter is the the last chapter is not any better i mean or two chapters we might do is it two yeah it's just it's just one is it one it's just one Yeah. yeah i mean the last chapter is not any better and we'll we'll get there obviously you know when we're able to yeah. here coming up but i mean you think that hey the dragon's dead tragedy is is over with like it's been a heavy Mm. story we're finally at the end and it's like no the next chapter is pretty rough too man but you will have to wait for that what you don't have to wait for right now is giving us aid (laughs) gondor calls for aid Uh, this is part of the podcast where seth and i we break into the halls of metacel then we shout gondor calls for aid will you rohan answer so if you enjoy the podcast please light a beacon of your own by sharing it with some fellow friends and fans also don't forget to like subscribe and leave us a review please share us with uh, with us your token story or any thoughts you have on the book so far to our email weckpodcast at gmail.com we will read those here on the podcast and have some dialogue around that we'd love to do this as a fellowship with you all Again, what to expect next time whenever we do get to podcast, depending on our schedules, uh, we will come to the conclusion of our book of Children of Huron, and it is not a happy one. But again, you have to wait for that. So until next time, we thank you for joining us for some well-earned comforts. We bid you a very fond farewell.
Oh boy. The story makes me sad. I know. Like, I mean, reading it's it. It's such I, a good story, but dang. Yeah. Like, I was working on the dock while Ariel, like, we had just finished doing the crib, and so she's just kind of cleaning things and putting stuff in the in the nursery. I'm sitting on our little chair typing away, and I just told her, I was like, hey, you have to listen to this. And I read it to her, and of course, she doesn't really have a whole lot of context for the other story, but I was like, you just need to hear this. This is so dr- dramatic. And, like, you know, that was when Glowering tells Nino what's going on. And, and so it was just like, like somebody else needs to hear this. I I can't just sit with this myself. Yeah. I can't. It's too sad. It's too too crazy. 